So hello, everybody. My name is Dan Copeland, and I'm the author of the book entitled Let It Be, which came out on uh, the Day of the Dead this past November. And I'm talking with Carlos Allende, the author of a book called Love, The Witches, Love or the Witches of Windward Circle. Carlos. Yeah, that's me. Hi, it's a long title. Actually, it's longer in Amazon because they added a horror farce to the title. Right, so, right, right. <laughs> it it came out last October officially, and uh, right. it's a story about witches set in Venice Beach during the uh, first half of the 20th century. And uh, no, I was, no. huh? No, go ahead. Oh, yours is set in Marina del Rey, right? Yes. So that's where you live, I suppose. Yes, I do. All righty. So maybe uh, we can start from there. Uh, well, my, my I, I'm not American. I don't live in Venice either. I live in Santa Monica. I'm from Mexico. And uh, I moved to the States in 2009 uh and i started working in venice that's why i set my story in venice right have you always lived in marina ray uh no i'm actually from new york um i grew up in new york and and then i moved out to california um in the uh, 1981 um and um I have to say, I guess for the most of the last 20, 25, 30 years, I've lived near the Venice area. Uh, I'd like to be near the water. So um, I've uh, spent a lot of time riding my bicycle around Venice. And uh, it was fun to, while reading your book, to see all the streets named and and uh, cool. your, your uh, description of what early Venice was like. Cool, thank you. Yeah, I fell in love with Venice when I moved here. Uh, it's very different from what it used to be. And I think I don't feel uh, in love as much with present Venice, but with a historical Venice. Right. And uh, that's why I decided to, to set my story there. Uh, I'm not sure if your story, uh, I, I mean, Maria Ray doesn't seem to to play a, a, a very important role, right? I mean, it's just the place where uh, the events take place, but it could have been in New York or any other city, right? Yeah. Yeah, and uh, in, in the case of my book, yeah, it's a, it's a very Venice uh, story, although originally it wasn't going to be set in Venice. I, I just started writing a book because uh, about the witches and... Uh, then I moved here, and I thought I needed to incorporate everything that I learned about Venice in the book. Right. So you had you you were writing the book before you moved to to the United States. You started it. Yeah, actually, I always wanted to write about witches. When I was a teenager, I. Um, I mean, I don't know if you have heard of him, Maleus Maleficarum. It's a 15th century treatise on the prosecution of witches. And um, it, that book fell into my hands and I started reading it. And it's, uh, it, it's a very interesting book uh, because it has all these confessions from elect witches. Um, right. And I always thought that somebody should... Uh, get all those stories and, and, and write about them. I mean, the book is not only confessions. You have just a few lines of what the witches are supposed to to say, and uh, but but it's quite uh, funny. So, I mean, the story of the witches flying through the air, um, mounting a goat or mounting a dog or a barrel. That's uh, mentioned in the book and. Uh, well, I was inspired by this book, so I started writing it and writing about witches before I moved to the States. And originally, uh, my story was going to be set in Cabo San Lucas, where I used to live. 
but I didn't know what was going on later in my book. I just had the uh, first few chapters, and then I moved here and uh, I learned about Venice and about the pier and the canals and and all that. So I decided to to transfer my story here. Right. Do you think that the, that the, the what you learned about Venice made it easier for you to tell your story? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, because you get inspiration out of uh, out of real events. I mean, uh, I read a lot of uh, newspaper articles, mostly from the LA Times, and uh, they uh, they go about all the struggles of the Gas House Cafe, and uh, there was a police hearing, and uh, a one, I mean, many of the events that I mentioned in the book are actually uh, true. Like there was a, a nude model and the guest house cafe was serving alcohol without a permit. So I just uh, I decided to incorporate them in the story. And, and it was when I ran out of ideas of what would happen next, I would just consult my notes and, and, and see what actually happened in, in history and, and then just write about it. Right, right. So, so what kind of, what kind of, I mean, other than that book on witches and, and looking at the, the the history of Venice, what other, what other research did you do or where did you find inspiration or? Well, in the Malays, and I have a, a dictionary of witchcraft. Mm -hmm. uh, what I try to do is to stick to the uh, uh, witches archetype from the, 16th and 17th centuries and, and don't use modern witches but because modern witches are um, beautiful and fight for good and they're Disney-fied. So I just want to go to go back to the classical witches uh, that are um, ugly and mean and, uh, and serve the devil. Right. So... And, and talking about that, and your book, did did you get inspired at all by the uh, sitcom Dead, uh, Dead, Dead Like Me? Or you know which one I'm talking about? Uh, could you say that again? There was a sitcom in the 90s or early 2000s about a girl that dies and becomes a, a grim reaper. But it was a comedy, and it was called uh, Dead Like Me. Oh, no, actually, I, I didn't see that. I didn't see that. Now, my inspiration for this um, came a lot from my personal history because I had um, many experiences with death in my adolescence. Um, one of you know, my earliest memories was sitting in my grandmother's room uh, when I was, I guess, five, and then I remember very vividly watching my mother get the phone call that uh, my grandmother had died and watching her react to that. And um, then when I was about 14, I got very, very sick. And, um, uh, you know, I was about six feet tall, but I only weighed 69 pounds. Wow. They only thought I, yeah, they, they only thought I was going to live for a few hours. Um, but I'm still here, so quickly um, changed my perception of life. And um, but you know, throughout high school, the, the thing that, that kind of captured my imagination was movies. And uh, I remember very distinctly being impressed by Ingmar Bergman's film *The Seventh Seal*, um, and was quite taken with the concept of a knight playing chess with death. Um, I had grown up playing chess and was fascinated by knights, and I really felt that that film talked to me personally. Um, and uh, the actual inciting event that, that made me want to write this particular story um, was a combination of both the, the world politics at the time, uh, you know, American foreign policy with the invasion of Iraq seemed to be guided by a blind vengeance that, uh, you know, ultimately I think was very destructive. Um, and also, you know, a sense of loss. Uh, I had just gone through a divorce. And um, 
the story bubbled up from from that those two events and um you know i just i had maybe as a as a means of escape from from that i just decided to go into the world of dark fantasy and create this world where um there was a parallel universe where the the dead are and that there was this battle, you know, to try and get back to being human because it's such a rare form of existence. And um, my imagination just sort of took off from there. And, um, you know, I explored the themes of, of vengeance and, and enlightenment and the, you know, the concept that, that love is, you know, the only choice that we can make that will serve us. Um, and yeah, so it was a kind of wild journey. So you wrote this book in the early 2000s? I'm sorry, I get, I, so, so when did you write this book? Um, I actually started writing it about 12 years ago, almost to the day. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. Um, you know, for me, when I write, I, I do a lot of research and I always have an idea of what the beginning of the story is going to be and what the end of the story is going to be. And usually a pretty good idea of what's going to happen in the middle. So um, yeah, I do a lot of research and I, you know, think about what the story will be and what the characters will be and, and the events before I start writing. I think um, doing that amount of research prevents you from sitting at a blank page and not knowing what to write. Yeah, I understand. I, I, I do the same. I mean, I knew what I wanted to see. Actually, one of my first visions was uh, the little woman uh, right. scoring behind a sofa while everybody was in the room, which I have in chapter 20th. And uh, I just didn't know how to get there, and um, that's when I when I when I started writing it. I had right. actually when I was a teenager, I started writing another book about witches, and in that book, one of the witches uh, kidnaps a child, and a riot ensues, but. Uh, my my uh, my draft was pretty bad, and I never completed it. And so I thought I would rescue that scene for this book, which is right, uh, right. part of what I did. Uh, but it just came out something completely different. I didn't I didn't a lot of things about Venice. I mean, when I moved here, it it was already halfway gentrified. I mean, in two thousand and nine, was still pretty different from uh, what it is now. But but. Uh, but it was already a, a, a nice, uh, quiet place. And I understand that in the 90s, it was pretty bad. And, and, uh, and I didn't know about all the people that live there and how diverse. Uh, it, it is still pretty diverse, but uh, it was one of the most diverse communities in, in the early 20th centuries. And uh, when I learned all that, I wanted to incorporate that in, in my book. Uh, um, I mean, many people, uh, uh, it, it became a slum in, in the 40s and 50s. Right. And uh, uh, many Jews that were uh, Holocaust survivors moved there, and uh, many Mexican immigrants, and then Japanese had been living there for a while. Actually, the, the Japanese uh, family that I had, it was one part that I had to sacrifice because their story wasn't really that relevant to their main story. So I, I only yeah. kept the name, uh, but I want to, I wanted to do that and, and have Venice very, uh, represent all the people that live there at the time. And, uh, but I didn't want to be preachy. I don't know if it sounded, <laughs> I don't think it does. Uh, no, some... I, I didn't get preachiness. Okay. Because uh, right now, what you see in media, and I think people are starting to uh, to react uh, when they see a movie that is totally whitewashed, like uh, 
the new uh, movie about uh, Egypt. I forgot the name. Uh, oh, the no, which Gods one? and Kings. The what? Sorry. The Gods and Kings or Exodus. Uh, the Gods and Kings, I think, or Gods yeah. of Egypt. Yeah. Gods of Egypt. So, that's it, right. Okay. Yeah. So I wanted to do something more realistic, even if my book uses elements of fantasy. I wanted it to be realistic. Right. Yeah, I, I think that fantasy is is best when it's in an ultra-realistic setting. Um, you know, and I tried to go for that for, in my book as well. Um, that, you know, the, the, the wall or the veil between reality and, and magic is not that thick. And that, uh, you know, it's just a, a little tilt of perception that can put us into an alternate world of, of magic and fantasy. And, and that plays best when the other world is extremely realistic. Yeah. And in my book, I, I, I wasn't sure if I wanted to make it all a fantasy at the end. Uh, I mean, now, how do you see your book functioning with, uh, within the horror genre? Yeah, I don't. I actually, I don't really consider my book in the horror genre. I consider it more in the you know the dark fantasy and supernatural uh -huh. genres. You know, I, I think it it honors the conventions of those genres and bends them um, a little bit. Um, it bends them, you know, towards reality. And um, and Benson towards a more, you know, myth-like um, quality where there's a moral under the story um, that drives the characters. And your moral is, you know, that we all have a we all have choices to make, um, and that the choice, um, you know, there's the choice of. The argument, the argument is that um, you know, in order to fully embrace life, you really have to fully embrace death. And if you don't embrace death, then you're not really living. Um, and that because we have this knowledge, sentient knowledge as humans, that someday we're going to die, that that's a gift. It makes our life and our experience much more precious. Um, and um, you know the choice of between vengeance and love um, is always is a, is an archetypal or iconic or you know well worn throughout the history of humanity in terms of storytelling. Um, and so those those are the the things that I wanted to explore with this story. Cool. Well, in my case, I'm not sure if hardcore fans of horror will like my book because I don't see it as a scary book. It is creepy, and yes, I have all these vivid descriptions of a witch's Sabbath, but uh, it's supposed to be funny, really, not scary. I hope no one buys it uh, hoping to get really scared and, and find that there's not a lot of gore and be disappointed. Um, I, yeah, I really enjoyed that. You have a great sense of, of mischief in describing the witches and their rituals and the, their, their sense of evil that I, I thought was really entertaining. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I, I mean, and also, but I don't think it's uh, uh, just plain comedy either. It's, it's, it's coming in a cruel and twisted and perverse way. Uh, right. but, but what I wanted is to readers to feel bad for laughing. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that's what I wanted to achieve. So I think you um, did. So yeah, make, make people feel guilty. A lot of times when you follow the hero archetype and the hero is a winner and uh, all virtue and, and uh, saves the day at the end of the story, uh, because you're living the life of the hero, you feel accomplished and you feel that you are the one that uh, came out victorious and, and you are the one that is pure and honest and 
and you're only the reader. So what I wanted is to have uh, characters that are the opposite, that you follow their lives and, and, and feel what they're feeling, but you don't share their um, idiosyncrasy. And uh, so you don't really believe in what they believe. And you sometimes cringe and, and, and get mad at their decisions, but you're still on the right. So what I wanted is my readers to make some judgment on, on the characters' lives and then on their own lives and, and, and not feel accomplished for what someone else is doing, but feel accomplished for what they are doing in their own lives. I mean, I, I don't know if it doesn't, if it came across like that to you, because uh, I wasn't expecting my readers to, I wasn't expecting my readers to empathize, yes, but not to sympathize with uh, everything that is going on. Right. It's so you kind of give them like the, the opportunity to be a voyeur for your story where they can watch it all and, and experience it, but that they don't have to, you know, endorse it necessarily. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with it. So what what do you think that the genre allows you to do that other genres don't? Uh, wouldn't sorry. Yeah, well, again, I you know I think the the fantasy and supernatural genres give you the opportunity to explore you know explore the human experience in fantastical terms. Um, which we often forget how fantastical our existence is. Um, and, and I think that genre and my story, let it be, you know, goes in that direction and it allows you to, to, to look at vengeance and, and hatred and, and life and love in ways, you know, through that magical lens that in ways that, may give you a different view of your own life like your like you just said that you know you can through through your characters you allow people to cringe at what they're doing but at the end of the story you kind of hope that after having read your book they will you know take a different look at their life based upon their voyeuristic journey with with the characters that you created uh well, in my case, I think I had a more uh, scenic point of view, and I, I, I didn't use the uh, supernatural in, in, in that sense. I What I wanted is to shock the public uh, using the rules that other writers said before. And I didn't reinvent witches. Uh, I just wanted to create something new with what I had uh, and use them as a metaphor to do social critique. Uh, for example, the mother is not a witch because the devil uh, seduced her, but because she wanted revenge from a patriarchal society that forced her to leave subdued to her husband. So the witches represent rebelliousness to oppression and prejudice. And uh, I'm not sure if it came across like that, but the story of Harris and Magnolia is, is, is not really a love story, but the story of a woman that marries a man below her social status because she need, she feels that she needs a man to succeed, mm. and uh, and then the vampire represents uh, a rich people how how selfish and oblivious to others' suffering they can be. So yeah. I I use it more as a metaphor of uh, ordinary lives and and just to show how we live and, and who we are, but but using them as excuse uh, to, to force the rhythm to, to, to catch the reader's interest. Right. Yeah, I, I thought that was achieved. I, I definitely picked up on that with the, um, the vampire character and, uh, you know, felt the oppression uh, that, that, that the women were suffering. So I uh -huh. think you accomplished that. Thank you. So we talked about research and uh, 
inspiration you said about uh, uh, when you were when you were a teenager you were about to die right so what have you written? No. Uh huh go ahead now what have you uh, written before well this is my first novel my first book uh, most of my writing has been in the in the screenplays and movies um, over the years. Um, I've written a lot of scripts and um, I was actually able to, to make two films on my own, um, one of which was a Dragon Gate, which was a samurai martial arts fantasy um, that was banned in Korea and, and censored in Germany. And uh, and the other film, my other film, that film was called The Dragon Gate. The other uh -huh. film I made uh, was a film called Echoes of Enlightenment. And that's well, also kind of a... So the a, first a, one was banned in Korea, you said? Say again? The first one was banned in Korea? Yes. Why? Well, at the time it was made, um, the Korean censors had laws on the books that forbid them to any, uh, forbid them from displaying any type of Japanese culture. Oh. Um, because of the the you know the atrocities that the imperial japanese army committed during world war ii so um unfortunately the martial art that was the basis for for my film the dragon gate is kendo which is a japanese art of the samurai the sword fighting and um they uh, banned it because of that japanese content uh, even though I'm an American, I'm not Japanese, and that the film was made by an American company, um, they still would not pass it and give it the, an all-clear censorship certificate. So I, I have somewhere a framed copy of the uh, the censorship denial in, in Korean. So you've written mostly scripts for movies? Yes. yes. Okay. Yeah, your book felt uh, uh, very cinematic. So... Are you planning to make a script out of it? Yes, uh, yes, I'm still I'm working on uh, trying to put all the funding together to make a movie, but um, I definitely would love to make a film of it. Actually, I think there, there are two movies in the book. Um, the one movie, the story of Yates Dane and his seduction and dance with death, and then the other kind of origin story, the, the chapter called Jobutsu, about that kind of Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings, uh, you know, uh, Night Quest, I think is a separate film. Um, and it was actually conceived that way originally, but then after I lived with it for a while, I kind of thought, well, where the characters end in the Jobutsu story is kind of where the characters begin in the Let It Be story. So I I thought they made a good pairing. So I I so your two characters uh, Yeats and uh, how, how do you pronounce her name? It Etram. Etram. So they're supposed to be reincarnations from the character from Jobutsu. Yes, because when when Jobutsu ends in the story, he's trapped uh -huh. in a void of vengeance, which is kind of where Yates Dane's story begins. Um, uh -huh. and, um, Etram had a previous life because she has a scar on her forehead, and the character Yomer, who dies in Jobutsu, is shot in the head with an arrow. So, at the end, I'm giving away spoilers, uh, unfortunately, but... And so it seemed to me that there was a symmetry there in those two stories that allowed them to maybe work together. So if you make a movie out of that, would you make, I mean, would you want to make two or, or one? Yeah, I think, I think that the, the Jobutsu story is a separate film uh, and that the Let It Be, you know, the Yates, Etram, story Probably yeah so i mean actually i've written a screenplay uh, uh -huh. for the the yates and etram story and and that's that's you know, 
movies tend to be much simpler stories that they can really be about one thing and books obviously are allowed to explore all kinds of tangents and histories um, and characters that while are fascinating wouldn't necessarily advance the story of a movie so um, I was cognizant of that as I was writing the book um, and I'm writing the screenplay so how about you? Have you written any other books besides this, or is this your first novel that, that you've completed? No, it is, it is my first one in English, but I wrote another one in Spanish called uh, Cuadrillas y Contradanzas, and uh, that the translation would be uh, Quadrille and Square Dances. Uh -huh. Those are typical dances from the uh, mid-19th uh, century. So in, in Mexico, we had a civil war called the, uh, the Three-Year War or the War of Reform uh, mm -hmm. from 1858 to 1861, uh, so just before uh, American Civil War. And uh, I... I well, actually, I was very inspired by by Tolstoy's uh, War and Peace, and then I yeah. read Clemencia, which is a, a, I don't know if you have ever heard about it, it's, it's uh, set in Mexico, too, uh, during the French intervention. And uh, in both War and Peace and in Clemencia, there, there are scenes where uh, the main family is escaping the city because uh, uh, the enemy is uh, invading the city. Uh, so the French are invading Moscow and, and everybody is escaping. And I thought that was so cool. And I wanted to write a, a, a book with a similar scene. So that was my inspiration. And then I, I looked for a war that would be uh, a good setting. And, uh, and then I started doing research. And, and then I wrote that book. Uh, so it has nothing to do with uh, uh, War and Peace or Clemens. I mean, the only... Uh, uh, the only similar scenes is when when you see the families escaping uh, the city. Uh, by the time I reached that part, I, I just I was exhausted, so that was pretty much my ending. Uh, so uh, yeah, that was my first book, and uh, it was published in two thousand and eight or two thousand and seven. And, uh, and then I moved here and I started writing, uh, well, I, I started writing Love or the Witches of Windward Circle uh, before. So it was published in, in 2007, I just checked. And uh, so, but I, I, I didn't really do much to uh, advertise it. And uh, so I hope uh, one day I can publish it in English. That's, it's always a great, you know, the, the great dramatic device is ordinary people in extraordinary circumstances or extraordinary people in ordinary circumstances. And the, the, um, the device of having a family trying to flee from an oncoming invasion is, is a, always a very compelling. Although I, I don't think... Yeah, I don't. I mean, you just mentioned that I don't believe in extraordinary people. I think everybody is pretty ordinary. It's just like people are different, and uh, so that's what I want uh, try to achieve with my characters. No one is really extraordinary, but everybody is pretty ordinary. You just need to. Uh, people seem uh, special when when you don't know them, and and they seem pretty different. But at the end, we're all the same. We are. We all have the same fears, and we all have the same needs. And um, in the case of my character, the I mean, the need of uh, belonging is the need that is not satisfied by either uh, the little woman or or Josie. Um, right. So uh, it's in my book a more cynical view of love, not as a powerful force that uh, can fix everything, but as a basic need uh, that we need to satisfy. So. Yeah, I, I, I'm kind of on the other side of that. I think that there are 
everybody who thinks they're ordinary is actually somebody who can be extraordinary uh, if they awaken to it. And that the human capacity to create and, and uh, is, is indeed extraordinary. Um, and uh, perhaps my view on, on, on love is a bit more uh, optimistic or romantic. But um, I, I think that at the end of the day, uh, I, you know, I remember reading a, a book, War, It Gives Us Meaning, by uh, a, a man whose name I'm, I'm blanking on at the moment. But he was a, a former a priest, and he became a war correspondent. And he had seen most of the horrors that humanity can visit upon the human soul. And um, after doing this for several decades, the only conclusion he reached was that, that the choice had to be love. Um, and, and that was also something that uh, resonated with me very deeply. Um, because like you say, the, the human condition embraces all sorts of, uh, of, uh, of uh, dark areas, you know, vengeance, hate, jealousy. And while we all experience them, how we experience them or how we choose to deal with them, I think there, there are people who... Who are, those who are who are enlightened can can deal with these emotions in a, from a higher consciousness and make better choices. And the journey to get to that place of higher consciousness is always something that's been a, a fascination to me. Well, my my view is is uh, different. I think people can make horrible things out of love because. Uh, jealousy is is love, and uh, just trying to fit into a group can make you uh, make horrible things uh, against other groups because you want to be loved by uh, by your peers. So, yeah, mine is more cynical view of love. Right. And I, you know, I, I, I think those are accurate statements. Um, there are people that, that, you know, that join the Nazi party because they wanted to be loved, and 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 that's how they felt, and that's why people join gangs because nobody else cares about them, so they find some type of. But also, uh, I think love is learned, and. It's natural, but at the same time, it's learned. I and mean, when you don't teach someone to love, is uh, I mean, I think to to be loved, to be loved, you need to love uh, back. And if you don't know how to love because nobody taught you, then it's when you cannot be loved. And and that's uh, uh, that's a dilemma of of the little woman that she was never taught how to love. Therefore, she is not loved. I mean, to begin with, she had uh, a lot of disadvantages, and <laughs> she was oddly and small and and and, and uh, not very smart. And uh, but she was incapable of of loving anyone uh, because she was too worried about being loved. And I have met uh, people like her. I mean. Of course, not exactly like her, but I have met people that are too worried about what people think of them, uh, and they want to be uh, popular and they want to be loved and admired and belong to a group, but they're so desperate uh, trying to acquire love that they cannot love or care for anyone else, and that's why they don't succeed. Uh, and in the case, huh? Uh, I was just going to say that, that kind of illustrates one of the, the things that I, I talk about in my book, which is that if you you know chase something that's an illusion, that that will always lead to misery and suffering, and that you have to be able to determine what is the truth of of the world, 
and the truth of existence that that enlightenment and and like you say there are people who are so desperate to be needed but i think that 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 in their mind that that, that they need that validation is an illusion um that they that they don't understand that they're complete and and you know marvelous in and of themselves and had they you know and then they chase this 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 illusion which they think will make them sad you know which will satisfy the, their need for fill the hole in their soul and what they're chasing is illusion and illusion which can never ever fill that hole um, and even if they achieve the illusion they'll still never be satisfied yeah what are you working on right now um, well, I'm just uh, finishing up a documentary that's going to have its uh, world premiere next year uh, about the, uh, the movie that Cecil B. DeMille made back in the 20s called The Ten Commandments. He built this huge city, Egyptian city, on the California uh -huh. coast. And when he was done, the city vanished. And 33 years ago, my friend was sitting in a bar and someone said to him, you know, there are ancient Egyptian sphinxes buried somewhere on the California coast. He said, oh, yeah, well, let's go find them and dig them up. And, you know, for 30 years he's been trying to do that. So um, that's the film that uh, we're just finishing up and getting ready to go on the festival circuit. How about you? What are you getting ready to do? I am writing another dark novel, and uh, the uh, tentative title is Coffee Shopping Motor Law. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so, in that order yeah well originally it was coffee shopping love motor but it sounds for, uh, better if you, if you put motor first okay. uh, it's, uh, it's a dark comedy about uh, a guy that uh, he's a bookkeeper which happens to be my day job and uh, <laughs> he, he hates his job and uh he kills by accident, and I'm using air quotes when I say accident. Uh, he kills an intern by accident, and he uh, needs to get rid of the body. And then he meets this other guy, and they're both gay, and uh, but they're very uh, uh, well. They're undateable. It's a story about two. Uh, losers trying to get rid of the body and uh, it's pretty dark I, I hope people find it funny I don't know I'm having fun writing it and uh, sometimes I feel that I can only write about uh, uh, horrible people but I, they're not really uh, I mean I, I I'm always on the side not always on the side of the bad guys but I always wonder what leads them to act that way? What what pushes them to to act that way? And I, I don't think people are inherently uh, good or bad, but it's something that you learn to do. And uh, I mean, if we go back to lower the witches of Windward Circle, uh, the little woman was pushed to do uh, what she did because uh, she was desperate. And uh, Josie is also uh, a result of the uh, society that she was raised in. And uh, the difference between the two is one had uh, beauty and the other didn't. So, uh, so I think, uh, yeah, I think I, I, I like to understand why people do that stuff and instead of having uh unidimensional uh characters that you never know their uh reasons why they behave like that i, I like to make people understand why they, they behave like that i don't know if you have you ever read a book called uh cousin bed from balzac uh no it's it's a pretty good book it's about the spinter um she uh she is a cousin of a rich woman, and uh, she lives in a very, uh, in a tiny apartment in an old building that is uh, 
falling apart, but she visits her cousin often. And uh, she's, uh, they're about the same age, uh, but uh, uh, Beth, the, uh, uh, the main character, she's, she's oddly and never married. And the, the other cousin, I don't remember her name. Uh, she's beautiful and rich and has a, a beautiful family. And cousin Beth is jealous, of course. And then uh, she uh, has a boyfriend who's uh, an artist that uh, she saves from committing suicide. Uh, so the guy is grateful to her. But then, uh, I forgot the name, the daughter of her cousin gets to know him and steals, it, uh, steals him from bed. So bed decides to uh to take revenge and uh destroy her cousin and, and her family mm. uh, so what i like the most about that book is that you completely empathize with Beth, even if you don't agree with her you share her suffering so that's what i want to achieve with my books even if you don't agree with uh uh, the evil acts and the selfishness of my characters. Uh, I want people to empathize with them and uh, feel what they're feeling and understand why they're doing it. And I right. think that we need in this world, like sometimes we just run to blame other people and we don't understand why they're doing it. And if we did, maybe we could do something to help and stop them. Right. Right. That's kind of, you know what I always hope to accomplish in my works is that um, I I don't I think artists are like the pathfinders for humanity, and that through our works we try to lead the human race to a better place through our stories and our our creations and certainly that's something I wanted to explore with my film my, my book Let It Be um, again like like the story you just told it's a story about a man whose wife has been killed. And he doesn't know who the cur uh, the killer is, and you know he's stuck in a state of grief and frozen in life, and wants he wants vengeance, and somehow through that quest of vengeance and and meeting Etram and and um, doing that dance with death, he changes his his view. Um, and becomes uh, able to to love and f not necessarily forgive, but to understand that that the the act of vengeance is is ultimately self destructive, and of course it's actually a form of self hate. And um, it's just this: I wanted to tell a wild and crazy story that would take people on a really imaginative journey. And, and uh, you know, I just hope that people uh, have fun with my story and my book and, and enjoy that journey. What, what do you think was the most difficult part when you were writing it? I mean, what was the hardest uh, part? Yeah. I never, I, personally, I've never had difficulty writing. I, you know, like I, we discussed earlier, for me, I always do a, a lot of research and think about the story. So that by the time I start writing, uh -huh. I, I know what I'm writing. I know the characters. I know what's going to happen. And because I've done so much research, sometimes I know I, I usually like to write between one and four in the morning. And I go into this kind of, you know, dream-like state, and I just dream and write. And, you know, uh, sometimes the characters will surprise you and take you in a direction that you hadn't anticipated, but it all seems to work brilliantly with what you want to accomplish. Um, so, uh, you know, I guess the hard thing for me is always getting started. I know that once I start it, it will get momentum. Um, and, you know, sometimes you just have to say, well, no matter what, tonight I'll write a thousand words. It doesn't have to be a good thousand words, but I have to at least start. And once I start, I feel, you know, that's starting is kind of the hard part.
How about you? What was the most difficult thing for you about uh, writing your book? I guess uh, juggling uh, with all the characters and uh, I mean, I had too many and I, I, I would write and, and not really know uh, who they were or where I was going. So sometimes just I didn't know what to do, and and I guess you you need to lead your characters. I mean, if you, I mean, I read somewhere, and I think it's good advice that if you want to uh, keep your write, uh, readers reading your book, you have to uh, lead your characters to a cliff all the time, and leave them in a cliffhanger, and uh, so you get them into all this trouble, but but then you don't know how to get them out. So it is easy to to lead them into trouble, but then you have to take them out so, so the story would continue. Uh, and when you don't know your characters, uh, that's a complicated part. So yeah. So I guess uh, a, lot of the, uh, a lot of the writing was actually done when I was riding my bike or swimming, working out, uh, that you're just thinking about it and, and not really in front of your computer and then when you have all the answers then you can uh, sit back and type uh, so the hardest part would be to to know how to solve it and um, the ending was really difficult uh, I mean I I didn't have a, an ending I, I, I had the first draft and uh, I edited it several times but I still didn't have an ending uh so that was uh for some people this is the first chapter they write or or they know how it's gonna end for me it was the last chapter i wrote and uh and i actually wrote it um in one day and left it and then i reread it and i thought it was pretty bad so i decided to take it but then i i read it again and i thought it was good so at the end i I just used it. And, uh, yeah, I find that sometimes I'll be, I mean, I remember when I was writing this, um, I would have these ideas and I always kept a piece of paper and a pen handy because I'd be in the middle of something else or, you know, like you say, working out or riding your bicycle or, and all of a sudden I'd have a flash of an idea and I'd write it down so I wouldn't forget it. Yeah, I did all that. Although most of my notes, I didn't use them. <laughs> I would yeah. write. What I found is, if I write my notes, I I would remember them, but I would never read them again. Uh, but if I didn't write them, I would forget about them. And I had a lot of stickies in my computer. So. Yep. You got notice that we're going to uh, uh, what is the name? Uh, Dark Delicacies next month. Yes, yes. We're gonna we're gonna meet and, and debate even more. All right, Carlos. Well, I'm looking forward to meeting you in January, and uh, it's been a great honor to speak with you just now.